My name's Smiley. I'm one of the pastors here at Good News and like to welcome you. So glad to see you, those who are here and those online. I love Sundays. You know why? Because I love you. And on Sundays, we have a chance to gather together, and I get to encourage you and feed you God's Word. And it's so good that we have a chance to gather together. Welcome. Uh, it's important to remember uh, why we gather together as a church, our purpose. Uh, will you say it with me? It's to make disciples together. You ever wonder why worship is important? Uh, something we like to say is that everyone wins when we worship. On your way, do you ever think how much you coming matters to Jesus? Do you ever think about that? R remember when Jesus healed 10 lepers? How many of them came back? You ever wonder on your way here how much it matters to Jesus that you're here to say thank you? Do you know how much it matters to him when you come saying, I want to hear your word? Wow, listen, Jesus wins when we gather together. You know who else wins? The people around us. Do you know when the Bible says we're filled with the Spirit, the first thing that it says is singing to one another. Do you realize the people around you have had a hard week? Do you realize life is hard in America now? So we gather because we love each other and we want to sing to each other and encourage each other and prepare them for another week because life is hard, isn't it? And know why we gather? Because we need Jesus, right? Oh, Jesus, we're here because we love you and want to follow you and we want to hear your word. That's why we gather together, because when we gather together, everyone wins. Jesus wins, the people around us win, and, and we win. <clears throat> Don't you love it when everyone wins? Not like a game yesterday where there's winners and losers, right? Oh, this week we rejoiced that we saw three people who professed faith in Christ, and we rejoiced with that. That's how it all starts when, when you share the gospel with people and they hear the gospel and they put their faith in Christ. And we do believe it's important to gather together. And so if you're new, we'd like to give a special welcome to you. Welcome. And there is a Connect card that should be in the seat in front of you that if you would fill that out or if you're online, you can fill one out at goodnewsloves.com. There's an opportunity on here if you put your faith in Christ today to let us know. We'd love to know that so we could pray for you and celebrate with you. Or maybe you'd like to have lunch. I've had a great time this year getting to know several of our guests by having lunch with them. Uh, I'd love a chance to meet you and hear your story. You could check that on there as well. There is uh, also an opportunity to take a next step if you've been coming for a while and would like to get connected. Every Sunday at 9 o'clock, we have a Discover Good News class uh, taught by our small group director, Tim. He'd, he'd love to help you get connected here. be a great place to go. What else we have here? We have our study that on your seat, if you've not picked up one, uh, this is our disciple-making tool. really encourage you to pick one up. Uh, there are, there's a place for message notes in there if you hear anything worth writing down. Uh, you can join us in reading through the New Testament and the Bible this year in there as well. Uh, Listen, there are opportunities to serve. We're having more and more people who, who have been coming back, and there's opportunities for you to make a difference by serving in, in, in the nursery or, or as an usher or in the sound booth. We could really use your help. There are many opportunities to serve. And um, next prayer. Um, I'm going to pray for you, but I, I want you to know I'm doing something else. What I want to do is equip you 
This year, when you win someone to faith in Christ, one of the things you want to do with them is you want to teach them how to pray. And so I want you to know that every week when we gather together and pray, not only am I praying for you, but I'm trying to model for you how you can help someone that you win to Christ know how to pray. And a very simple way to learn to pray is to follow the Acts format where there's adoration, which is focusing in on who God is, praise. And then there's confession where we confess our sins. And then there's thanksgiving where we give God thanks. And then there's supplication where we pray. So I'm going to pray in an Acts format because I want to equip you to be able to teach others. And I, one other thing, whenever I pray in public... Whenever I pray in public, I want to pray so simply that anybody sitting there could say, I could do that. I could do that. And so I think it's important when we were discipling someone that, that we pray so simply that we encourage them. And they say, ah, that was simple. I could do that. Okay? So let me pray for you and, and model for you how to follow the Acts format at the same time. Okay? Let's pray. Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are holy, holy, holy. You're just, you're loving, you're eternal. We worship you. As we look at you, we see ourselves differently and we confess our sins. Those things we said and did and thought we should not of and those we've left undone, Lord, forgive us our sins and our church Lord, forgive our nation that we have forgotten you. We thank you that you are forgiving God and that when we believe in you, you wash all of our sins away. Thank you. And we thank you you've given us your spirit. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that we can gather together today. We thank you for cars and food and indoor plumbing. We are so blessed and we give you thanks. Oh, we are broken people living in a broken land. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us and revive us. Those here who've never come to know you, may this be the day you open eyes and draw people to you. And Lord, as your people, those of us who know you, revive us, that we would be so full of the love of Jesus that when we leave here, we would find that we have to tell everyone how amazing you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jesus never leaves us stranded. Now, last week I shared with you a story of how I one time rescued our son, Caleb. But, but this week, I'm going to reverse the story. It was many years ago, and I was in Gainesville. I was in a hospital there uh, to visit, and my car was in the parking garage. And when I went to get out of the parking garage, you needed $5, to which I opened my wallet, and there was no money. So I offered my credit card, and the, the person said, no, you need cash. So I look in my ashtray, nickels, pennies, quarters, 450. No, $5. So the person at the gate says, do you have a bank card? So I go, oh yeah, I got a bank card. He says, there's a bank machine inside. So I go in, put my card in there, it says, what's your pen number? 
I am stuck in a parking garage. I don't have $5. I'm stranded in a parking garage. Am I going to spend the rest of my life here? And then I thought, Caleb is in school here. So I call up Caleb and I said, hey, Caleb, do you have $5? Would you spring your dad with $5? So Caleb goes over and he springs me out of the garage or I might still be there stranded in a parking garage. You ever been stranded somewhere and needed someone to come and, and to rescue you? That's what we're going to be learning about today, that Jesus won't leave us stranded. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't, it would be really good to bring a Bible and get familiar with the Bible, okay? It's, it's good to have God's Word. And so, um, previously on Exodus... When we left off the story last week, if you're new this year, we're walking through Exodus together. And, and previously, we learned that Israel was stranded in Egypt. They were known as Hebrews then, but Hebrews were stranded in Egypt. There was a new pharaoh, and he was seeking to wipe out God's people through killing every male baby born. So you're a mom. Can you imagine being a mom? You're a mom. And uh, you know if your baby is born as a boy, you have two choices, right? One is to murder your son or to disobey the civil government, right? And we think we live in the worst time ever. Uh, we're going to read the last few verses of chapter 2 to, to catch back up with previously on Exodus. Now, it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Pharaoh sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. And last week we met Moses. His mom and dad spared him, and we saw how God had called him to be a deliverer of Israel. And he had tried and failed, so he had moved out into the desert, right? Remember last week I shared with you that Moses' life is like a three-act play? If we're going to understand Exodus, we need to remember this play. There's three acts, and they're all 40 years long. Act 1 that we looked last week is in Egypt. Uh, from chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, Moses is born. He grows up in Pharaoh's you know, daughter's house, right? And then the latter part of chapter 2, we learn the next 40 years of his life was in the desert where he got married and had two children. But starting in Exodus 3, we're beginning Act 3 in his life. It's going to be the next 40 years of his life is going to be leading Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land. So right now, we're starting Act 3 of the great play of Moses, okay? Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Jethro and Ruel are the same, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's pasturing sheep. Did you know that the most despised profession in the Middle East, you know what it was? It was shepherds. And do you know that Moses at one time was where? He was, he was in the highest position there was, right? He was where? He was in Pharaoh's palace, right? And so this man went from what? The palace to the lowest place you could go. And who does that remind you of? Who? Isn't it Jesus? Didn't he leave, what, the heaven above to come to earth, right? Um, 
Wow. So Moses went from the penthouse to the outhouse. Now he's in the desert and he's, he's shepherding sheep. But I told you last week that, that Moses is in the Jesus school of saving. Are you? He's learning how to save. And you know what he's learning by leading sheep? He's learning that leading sheep and leading people are a lot alike. Now, sheep are dumb. You ever see people do dumb things? And sheep are smelly. And aren't people smelly? And you know what else? Sheep are defenseless. They need a shepherd, and people do too. How many people suffer, right, in our culture today because they don't have a good leader, right? So Moses is in the school of saving. He's, he's learning how to lead people by leading sheep. Now notice he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same. Here's a map. See, Midian is, is in the east, and he goes to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. That's where he took the sheep. The angel of the Lord, and, and often in the Old Testament, the word angel means messenger, the messenger of the Lord. Often the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord himself, in a pre-incarnate coming, and that's what this is. We're going to find out that this messenger, the Lord, is the Lord himself, appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses sees a bush that's burning. Now, that's not unusual in the desert to see a bush that's burning, but what was unusual was what? That the bush was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. Did you know that throughout, like the Bible, fire is a picture of God? Did you know that? A little bit later, after Israel comes out of Egypt, look at what it says later in Exodus. Uh, Exodus 13, the Lord was going before them. Now, how did God lead his people through the wilderness? The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and to lead them on the way in a, in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. So fire is a picture of God, and God would later lead them out of Israel, right? Or out of Egypt. Remember by a fire? Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? Remember? Look at what John the Baptist in Matthew 3, listen to this. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Remember how Jesus said that? or how John said that, that after me, a greater one's coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? Remember Pentecost? Remember Pentecost? Jesus rose from the dead, right? And, and he appeared to them for 40 days. But on the 50th day, in Acts chapter 2, look at this. This is so good with fire. When the day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place. Oh, you know why we're here? Because people, when they gather together in one place, God shows up in amazing ways. That's what happened here. They were all together. In, don't you like being together? They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire. So the Holy Spirit fell, and what was it like? It was like fire coming down, right, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Aren't you glad we live in the New Testament, not the Old? You know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only fell on special people. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's fallen on all of us. 
Because God wants all of us to be involved in what he's doing, all of us to be disciple makers. So look at what happens next after the, the Spirit fell, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How many were filled? And how many began to speak? All of them did. That's what should happen to us. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should tell others how amazing Jesus is. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You ever driven by a United Methodist Church and paid attention? You ever, you ever noticed what their logo is? Let me show you their logo. See their logo? You ever thought about their logo? Here's their logo. You have the cross, right? The cross representing Christ, and then you see what? You see what? You see fire, right? You see fire coming down. You see the Spirit of God coming down on His people, empowering God's people to make much of Jesus. And that's what we're reading about here. Um, Moses saw, he saw a bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. Verse 3, so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. He had to look. Know what I'm praying? That we would be burning bushes that the people around us would see in these times and say, these people are on fire for Jesus, but they're not being... Could, do, do people see that? Do they see us exuding three great loves before their eyes? Do they see our love for Jesus? Because we're always talking about him and how good he is to us. Do they see our love for one another? Didn't Jesus say what? By this all men will know that you're my disciples. What if you have? Do they see that? Do they see us as burning bushes? Do they see our love for lost people? That in a divided world, we love all people because we realize how much we have in common. We're not divided. We all need what? Jesus. Oh, wouldn't it be great where we live and work and play that we would puzzle people? They would have to come close because they see us as burning bushes. When the Lord saw that, the, saw that he turned aside, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, isn't that cool? God knows her name, isn't it? And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, taking off your sandals would show respect. But this year, when you win someone to faith in Christ, and you're reading the Bible with them, and you come to the word holy, and they ask you, what does holy mean? What are you going to say? Hmm? Thank you. You said set apart. The basic meaning of holy means that God is set apart. That God's eternal, and we're not. And God's all-powerful, and we're not. The basic meaning is that God is set apart, and then secondly, it speaks of God's moral purity, that God is morally pure. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God is light, and in him there is what? No darkness at all. It's not like he's pretty good, right? It's that he's light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Um, now, remember, I, I'm, I'm trying to equip you so that, so that you can disciple others, okay? Pay attention. 
He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now notice, God is not ashamed to identify himself with his people. Isn't that cool? So much of our culture today is we want to get rid of the people in the past because they were flawed. But listen, Abraham was flawed, wasn't he? And Isaac was flawed, wasn't he? And Jacob was flawed. But God is not ashamed to say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> Listen, when we share our faith with people, we want to make sure we're explaining to them about the God of the Bible. We want you to know the God of the Bible. There are many gods in our culture, but we're here to help you know the God of the Bible. Um, then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. <laughs> know what he's experiencing? He was experiencing what? The... Trauma of holiness, right? You do know what that is, don't you? Well, Smiley, what is the trauma of holiness? Well, many years ago, we were still living in Boca Raton, and I think we only had one kid, Lydia, and we were up here visiting my parents, and we had a running stroller. It was really cool. And Karen would love for me to run as long as I took the youngest child with me. So we're in St. Augustine, and I say, I want to go for a run. We have a running stroller, and says, okay, take Lydia, but don't run on the seawall. Now, most of you are new here. You don't know. The seawall used to not look like it looks now. It used to be what? Narrow. And it tilted back and forth. And my stroller probably had a half an inch on both sides of the wheel. But my wife says, don't run on the seawall. So what do you think I did as a husband? I ran on the seawall. And it was a beautiful day. There was at least a half an inch on either side of the tire. And I was having the time of my life until she comes around the turn. And you know what I experienced? The trauma of holiness. Because when I saw her, I saw what I was doing so different, and I knew I was in trouble. You know what happened to Moses? Moses saw God, and then Moses saw himself. And know what Moses said? Uh-oh. I am in trouble. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and they have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. Man, are you going through a tough time? Listen, God sees, God knows. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Wow. Do you hear what happened? God says, I have come down. Why? To save my people from Egypt and to bring them into the promised land. Do you hear the difference between the gospel and religion? Religion says you have to work your way up to God. The gospel says, no, that God comes down to save sinners, right? Isn't this a picture of Jesus? Didn't we just celebrate Christmas? What is celebration of Christmas? It's the incarnation, what, that God came down. And why did he come down? In Luke 19, 10, we read, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. God saw our suffering. He saw the mess we had made. And so God came down to save us, right? Wow. 
Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Do you, do you know anybody in our culture who's just overwhelmed by what's happening in our country? Do you, do you know anyone? Do you hear what God says? I know what's going on. Therefore, come now and I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So, so God says to Moses, listen, I'm sending you so that you would go and deliver my people. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was here? Didn't he gather people together? Didn't he train them? Didn't he say, what, go and make disciples of all the nations? Didn't he? Isn't that what he does with us? Listen, I want to send you. I want to send you out with good news for people to know about our great saving God, right? You ever say, well, I can't? You ever make excuses? What do you think Moses did? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Um, I, I, I can't. Who am I? And, and, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. This is the first of many objections that Moses would raise uh, as God is seeking to call him to, to go and set his people free. And he said, certainly I will be with you. Listen, saving people is far more important to Jesus than to us, so he's going to make sure the mission gets done, right? So he says, what, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt and shall worship God at this mountain. He says, listen, I'm going to go with you. We're going to, you're, I'm going to bring the people out, and you're going to worship me here. Over and over, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, when God calls us to do something amazing, he always says what? I will be with you. He said to Abraham, he said to Abraham, I want you to go to a land and, and, that I'll show you. And he says, I'll be with you. And he said to Isaac, I'll be with you. And he said to Jacob, I'll be with you. And then to Joshua, would you like to be Joshua? For 40 years, for 40 years, Moses had led the people, and you get to take after up after Moses, who spoke with God face to face. But what did God say to Moses, or to Joshua? He said, what? I will be with you. Now, Moses could have used the excuse, I'm too old. I mean, he's 80 years old. But another prophet named Jeremiah could say, what, I am too young. Oh, let me read you this in Jeremiah 1. This is so, so good in Jeremiah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We're surrounded by people who think they're accidents. But as Christians, we say, no, no, what? God formed you in your mother's womb. Isn't that cool? He formed you. He made you just like he formed Jeremiah in the womb. And he formed you for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. He set you apart for a purpose before you were even born. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was appointed as a prophet. Listen, he's appointed you as a witness where you live, work, and play. Oh, as we go on, Jeremiah also had his excuse. See, just like Moses had an excuse, just like we do, so did Jeremiah, right? Then I said, alas, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak. 
that sound familiar? Doesn't sound like Moses? But I, because I am a youth. I'm too young. Moses, I'm too old. Jeremiah, I'm too young. What's, what's your excuse, huh? But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. And then what promise does he make to him next? Do not be afraid of them. Why? For I am with you. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Do you have that sense every day when you live in your neighborhood or when you go to work or school or play that, that I'm with you on that mission I've called you to? I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord God. I love this. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Isn't that what we get to do? Don't we get to share God's word with others? And then we have the disciples, right? And Jesus trains them and... And then Jesus dies, and, and then he rises, and he gathers them together, he gathers them together for his last, the great commission, right? In Matthew 28, and by the way, if you're ever on a game show, make sure you know the great commission, okay? It's where Jesus said, go and make disciples. Don't embarrass me, okay? Remember this? And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority, how much? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. The reason we go is not because of ourselves, but the one who calls us has all authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And what? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <laughs> Listen, what gave the apostles such boldness to go out? They knew they weren't alone, that Jesus was with them, right? Um, so what do we learn here that that Jesus never leaves us stranded, that Jesus never leaves us stranded, that, he, that he, he comes down to save us, that he sends out his disciples to make disciples who could make disciples so that we could be here today. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to hang on to Jesus. I want you to hang on to Jesus. And you, you say, well, well, what does that mean? Well, when I was little, my dad loved the water, and I loved the water. We would go to the pool, and my dad would tell me, to hang on to me, get on my back, and then my dad would swim me through the pool. He'd say, hold your breath. We'd go under and we'd come up. But I would hang on to my dad because if I hang on to my dad, I could go to the deep end of the pool and do all kinds of things I couldn't do on my own. And you know what Jesus says to us? Hang on. Hang on. So I want you to hang on to Jesus, okay? I want you to hang on to Jesus for Jesus to save us. If we want to be saved, we need to hang on to Jesus. Isn't that how the Christian life begins? We hang on to Jesus. Did you hear? Did you hear verses 7 and 8? The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a land, a good and spacious land. Listen, that's why Jesus came down to save us from our sins for a good and spacious land. Isn't that what we saw in Luke 19, verse 10? Isn't it when we looked at that before? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You see, that verse has both the bad news and the good news of the gospel in it, doesn't it? What's the bad news in there? What do we say that we're what? That we're lost. You know what that means? That each of us push God away. Don't tell us how to live. We'll do life our way. And so we run from God and we sin against God over and over again. And we are in big trouble. And know what happens if we keep running from God? Know what happens? 
we end up in hell, right? Because we did what? We ran away from God, right? But listen, here's the good news. What, what's the good news in this verse? That's what? That the Son of Man has come what? To seek and save that which was lost. So God the Son saw us running from God, and he put on flesh to come and seek us and save us. He lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross for our sins paying in full the penalty our sins deserve. But he didn't stay dead. He, he rose on the third day, and he offers us salvation. What is that? To save us, what? Out of our sin, to save us from our sin, to save us from hell, to save us from wasting our lives, to save us for what? For forgiveness, for the chance to do life with Jesus and spend eternity in a land flowing with milk and honey. And what does he require of us? In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer asked the question of all questions, doesn't he? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, I'm a pastor. I would expect people to ask me that question all the time, but almost no one asked me that question. How can I be saved from my sins? How can I be saved to live forever? Notice, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. Believe. Well, what does that mean? It means when my dad said, listen, hang on, and I hung on his back, and he led me through the water, he swam with me on his back, we grab Jesus and say, save us, right? To me, hanging on to Jesus really is as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit, Jesus, I'm lost, I've sinned, and I can't save myself. And then we move to believe. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I, but listen, commitments, we grab him. Jesus, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm transferring my trust from me to you. Forgive me, save me. Hang on. It's we hang on to him as Lord. I'm tired of rebelling against God. I want to hang on to you, and as you lead me, I'll follow you. Won't you hang on to Jesus? Won't you? Um, listen. We hang on to Jesus to be saved. We hang on to Jesus so he gets us out of Egypt, right? We hang on to him so he leads us out of our sins, right? We hang on to Jesus through the desert. Do you ever feel like we're in the desert? Things that were unthinkable a few years ago are now unquestionable. Things that were unquestionable just a few years ago are unthinkable. How do we know right? How do we know wrong? How do we know how to live in a crazy time? We what? Hang on, right? And Jesus says, what, follow me. Are you hanging on? We hang on to Jesus to get out of Egypt and, and to make it through the desert, and we hang on to get into the promised land, don't we? Oh, it's so great to be a Christian. We hang on to Jesus because we know when we hang on to Jesus, the best is yet to come. How sad for people who think this is the best there is, right? Okay, so I want you to hang on to Jesus. I want you to hang on to Jesus. Um, uh, to, to save us, okay? And then I want you to hang on to Jesus so that we can accomplish our purpose in life, our purpose in life. Re remember what Jesus said to Moses? He said, come here, right? Didn't he? He said, come here. And then he said, what? Go and deliver my people. And isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Jesus, doesn't Jesus invite us to come and be with him? But then doesn't he say, go, doesn't he? And you know what Moses got for following Jesus into the harvest? You know what Moses got? He got Jesus. 
He got a chance to do life and eternity with Jesus, and we get that too, don't we? You know what Moses got? He got a purpose. He got to exchange leading sheep to leading people out of Egypt, didn't he? Don't we get that opportunity to, to listen, to quit wasting our lives and to join Jesus in making disciples, don't we? You know what that looked like in my life? I got to exchange getting drunk and getting stoned and rebelling against my parents for the opportunity to win people to Christ and to make disciples and to plant churches. What a wonderful exchange, right? Listen, that's what we get. We get a purpose. You know what Moses got? He got a chance to see God show up, didn't he? He got to see the miracles in Egypt. He got to see the Red Sea parted. He got to see the people fed for 40 years of manna, right? Know what we get? When we get involved, we get to see dead people come to life. How cool is that? We get to see blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk. We get to see God show up. You know what else Moses got? Suffering. I'm reading the story of the Exodus. Uh, Forty years of griping and complaining. It was so much better back in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die? I'm reading, I'm thinking, did anyone ever thank Moses? You know what we'll get for making disciples? We'll suffer and suffer and suffer. I, I really want to apologize I've not prepared you well for making disciples in an increasingly hostile culture, and I want to repent of that, and I want to do a better job preparing you. Um, many of you this week were like me, and you're, you're reading through Matthew and the study, and listen, I was staggered by Matthew chapter 10, and so I want to read it to you because I want to prepare you. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I, I, hope I, I hope I am wrong. But I believe we face very difficult days as disciple-makers in America. So I want to prepare you for what's to come. So Jesus, after he picked his 12, he, he sent them out, and here's what he said. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Hey, guys, this is not going to be easy. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpent and as innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the, their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they, now notice he didn't say if they, did he? He said, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Listen, brother will betray brother to death, and a father's child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by, say it for me, what? All because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. So when it gets hard, hang on to Jesus. You know what that means to me? It's like you're walking across a busy street with your kid. You tell your kid, hold my hand, right? Your kid might let go, but you're not letting go, right? I want you, Jesus isn't going to let go, but he still tells us what? Hang on. Don't let go. 
But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. When we share Christ, there will be hunger or hostility. When you experience hostility, don't stop. Just go to another person and pray for hunger. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? If they call Jesus Satan, what do you think people in our culture will call us? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak it in the light. And what you have heard whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body. Listen, folks, this might cost us our lives. But are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground and apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Will you pray for me? I am such a coward. Uh, I, I really, really am. Will you pray for me that in a difficult, hostile environment that I would confess Christ? Would you pray that for me? And listen, I'll, I'll pray that for you. Listen, we're going to need each other. We're going to need each other and encourage each other so that we would confess Christ. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Listen, Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing us. I'm trying to prepare you. These are not my words. They're Jesus' words. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Listen, if we're going to make disciples in a hostile culture, we must love Jesus more than life itself. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Listen, when we suffer for the cause of Christ, we think of our reward in heaven of being with Jesus in paradise forever with all the people that we've helped disciple here. Oh, dear people, hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. You say, well, how do you do that? I believe it's critically important that we have a church home. We need each other. Listen, if we're going to hang on to Jesus in difficult times, Sunday is a day we start every week with Jesus. We need being together. Listen, we need a small group. 
We need people when times are tough that say, hang on to Jesus, hang on to Jesus, hang on because we're going to be tempted to let go. The reason we meet together is so we can pray for one another and encourage each other when it's hard. Hang on to Jesus. We need to start every day with Jesus. Know why? Because difficult times are ahead. You ever been on an airplane? You ever on an airplane, all of a sudden the light goes ding, ding, ding. What does it say? Fasten your seatbelts. Why? Turbulence. Ahead. Oh, man. The reason I get up every day and spend time with Jesus is I'm a coward. And I get up and I hold on to Jesus. I need you to confess you this day in this country, don't you? You know what else helps us to hang on to Jesus? To engage in his mission. Listen, the more we seek to share Christ with others, the more we hang on to Jesus uh, ourselves. <laughs> So I, I want to have one last word, verse, and, and I want to show you this verse, um, and it's Jesus. And, and listen to what Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Isn't that cool? Uh, Jesus wants you on his team. Jesus has a purpose for your life. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. He's chosen you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that you would give your life to something that matters and lasts. He sends you where you work, where you live, where you play, where you go to school. And notice what he says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Whatever you need, just ask. This year, listen, Jesus is saying, win one person. Don't worry about everything happening in Washington, D.C. Don't worry about all those things you cannot control. Why not win one person to Christ. And then, and then, listen, make one disciple. As you've brought them to Christ, listen, make a disciple. You can do it. You can do it. You really, really can. And listen, we can help you. We can help you. It really is as simple as ABC. It starts with admit, right? Jesus, I can't, right? That's where it starts, right? But then it moves to what? Believe what? That with you, what? With you, what? I can. Do you believe that? And then we commit ourselves, Lord, if I accomplish nothing else this year, may you use me to win one person to you and make one disciple. Imagine what could happen in this community if each of us did that one simple thing. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad that you saw the mess we had made of the world and you came down to seek and save the lost. Thank you. Thank you for dying and rising so that we could be saved. And listen, if you've never climbed on Jesus' back to save you, never believed in him, won't you now, won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you and help you grow. Lord, I pray as your people, 
that we would hear you say, just like you said to Moses, come and be with me and then, and then let me send you, Lord, that you send us out. Lord, I pray for each of us this year that we would hang on to you and, and, and we would pray and we would work to just win one person to you, one person. And then, Lord, help us with that one person to walk with them and, and help to disciple them. Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed by all the things we can't do. But, Lord, help us to do what you call and empower us to do. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.